0: You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. Good morning, everybody. This is Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Uh, we have finished up our series on wisdom, and today I was thinking, what should we talk about? And uh, I see a lot of you are wearing red or pink or s- shades of that. The rest of you have no heart at all. I'm <laughs> kidding. No, today is Valentine's Day, and I thought this would be a good day to talk about love. Um, so I want to play a game, right, a little game before we get into the message. I'm going to, today's, today's Valentine's Day, there's a lot of thoughts about love in media. Movies, songs, poetry, books, everything, love is a pretty dominant thing, isn't it? Like in, in culture and in our the way we, the things we pursue, the things we talk about. So I want to read a few quotes and if you know the movie, just just yell it out, all right? Just, just go ahead and say it. Let me finish it first, but... Then say it. Um, first one is: I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is. Forrest Gump. <laughs> Forrest Gump. Wow, that's pretty good. All right, all right. Um, you had me at hello, Jerry Maguire. All right, there we go. I came here tonight not because oh, I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want you want this ugh, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Nope, not The Notebook. I would never quote The Notebook. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Joke. Did anybody say it? When Harry Met Sally? No? Okay, yeah, there it is, all right. Um, this might be a little tough. This is a little tough one, but I thought it was a pretty good, pretty good quote. I have a love, and it's all that I have. Right or wrong, what can I do? I love him, I'm his, and, and everything he is, I am too. No, nope, no, nope. No, not Les is. It's a West Side Story actually. Um, All right, all right, all right. My wife better get this one. Uh, Me, I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of what I saw. I'm scared of what I did, of who I am. And most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way that I feel when I'm with you. There we go. Dirty Dancing. That's like the one movie she actually remembers. She's not a, a movie person. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Love story. There we go. I'll never let go. Drop. <laughs> it's Titanic. Yeah, Titanic. All right, let's see if I can do this one. All right. Marriage. <laughs> Marriage is what brings us together today. <laughs> Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dween within a dween. a wove to love. will forever and ever. So tragic, you wove. <laughs> anyway, Princess Bride. I'm not really good at that. Princess Bride. There are a thousand different quotes through movie history about love. And, like, when you hear them, usually, some of you know what they are. Some of you remember them. Some of them are awful. Love means never having to say you're sorry. What is, what is that? That's nonsense. <laughs> to me, I, I remember going to see Titanic as a teenager and thinking, he's talking about never letting go. She's like, I'll never let go. And then she drops him. Like, and then later you drop the necklace. Like, what? you're dropping everything. You're letting go of everything. I don't understand. But, like, all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, we have this thing inside of us that loves a good love story. Even us guys, we love a good love story. You're saying, not me. Star Wars has love in it. When Han says to Leia, I love you, she says, I know. That's a great moment. (laughs) Die Hard is a great Christmas movie and a love story. And action, all in one. There's a quote from Arwen to Aragorn that says, I would rather share one lifetime with you than face all the ages of this world alone. That's Lord of the Rings. That's why Kenny was ready. Like, there's something in us that we love, love. We're just, are, like, obsessed with it. It's in our, the journals. It's in our songs. It's, if you don't write a song that has love somewhere in it, you're not going to sell. Like, nobody's going to buy your songs eventually. Um, it's in our culture. It's in who we are. We are created for this capacity to love. And um, even though we don't, like us men, typically don't like, like feeling sappy or emotional, and I hate the Hallmark Channel, and what's the other channel? Lifetime. Like those, those shows, my wife will put them on, especially around Christmas, Valentine's Day. It's like the marathon of new stuff, right? And from the first 30 seconds of the show... I will tell her how it ends. Like, I know they're going to, they hate each other now, but they're going to be happily ever after. You know, I just know what it is. So I'll, I'll sit there with my book and my headphones on because I'm like, I'm not watching this. And by halfway through, it, I'm like this. My headphones are like back here. I am smiling. My wife's in the kitchen baking. Like, she doesn't even care anymore. And it's me watching this like, oh, that's happy. I already knew it was going to happen. Like, we just want to see happy endings, don't we? Unless you were evil, you want to see a happy ending. You want romance to exist. You want love to flourish. It's in us. We are created for this. This morning, I want to talk about the ultimate love. We kind of talked about it a little bit with communion this morning, God's love for us is so big. And I know a few months ago, God really hit my heart with this, that if we don't get his love for us first, if that doesn't completely renew itself in our hearts and minds every day, we're going to miss the rest of what he has for us. In Psalms, I want to read this. Psalms chapter 40, uh, 42, he says the beginning, as a deer pants for water, For flowing water, so my soul pants for you. He's saying that during a difficult time of his life. He needs God more than anything. Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in your sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. This is, the, this is David, the man after God's heart. He is madly in love with God. Like he is obsessed with pursuing God. In the morning I'll seek you. At night I'll seek you. Like a deer needs real water, I need you. David in the cave, David on the throne says, God, I need you. I'm pursuing you with all that I am. Make sense? This is the heart of David. This is the man who realizes that he completely needs God. And this morning, I want to look at today, this day of Valentine's, this day of love. We talk about loving God, but I wonder, what does our love for God really look like? Is it all pursuing? Is it all consuming? Is it this heart that longs for God? Is he all that we really need? Um. My wife and I, we, we've talked, we've been married eight years, right? Yeah, eight. Just double checking. My math gets bad after five, so um, eight years. And, um, and we've often, like, we've, we've seen other dating couples, you know, coming in and out of the church, coming out and out, in, our, in and out of our lives. And there are aspects of it where we're like, oh, that's really cute. That's sweet. Man, that was so much fun. Do Remember when we did that? Then there are other aspects of like, thank God that's not us. I am so glad I'm not insecure like that. I'm so glad that, you know, there's a whole, the, dating has its fun parts, and dating also has its horrible parts. And, like, there, when we're together in marriage, there are fun parts and also difficult parts, but yet there is this, like, steadfast awareness that she loves me. I'm not some teenage boy, like, loves me not, she loves me, like, loves me not. I'm, I'm not insecure. Like, I just know she loves me. So that's the great part of it. There's this other part that, that like, that fluttering, like, oh, what can I do to win them? That that's not really there because I've won her, but yet I continue to pursue her because making a marriage healthy. Make, you guys know what I'm talking about. You, how many married people know what I'm talking about? Like, there are parts of dating that was fun. There are other parts that, like that was ridiculous. Thank God we're not there. And this morning, I, I want to say that there are aspects of that that reflects who we were created to be in our relationship with God. There is a part of us that should be so confident in His steadfast love for us that we never feel abandoned. We never feel like he's going to run off on us or leave us alone. But yet there's this other part that's constantly being pursued and pursuing him. I'm constantly, I should be sending love notes and he is always sending me love notes. Make sense? Some of you guys are like, this is way too emotional for for a Sunday morning. This is God's character though. Amy read Matthew 22 this morning. We started off there and you have the pharisees they try to trick jesus they say what's the greatest commandment the pharisees are the religious they are the law abiders they are the ones who know all about god intellectually right and they act the right way out of people who know about god and jesus says to them you're trying to basically he knows they're trying to trap him and he says what's the what's the greatest commandment Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Basically, he says the, the religious people, you're trying to trap me. The best thing you can do, the best commandment of all commandments is love God completely with all your heart. Jesus sees that a religious spirit isn't a spirit that loves God with all that they are. We can be people who know all about God. We've gone to church from the time we were four years old. We've gone to every Sunday school, Bible camp, Bible quiz, missionaries, uh, missionettes, Royal Rangers, all those different. Some of you guys are like, what is he talking about? All those different Christian little clubs. What's, Aquana, what's the one? Aquana, Awana, Awana clubs? Awana clubs? You can go to all your clubs you want. You can go to Bible college, Christian school, learn about God, be religious, go to church, tithe, and still never have a heart that says, my soul thirsts for you. You're living water to my soul. In the morning, I need you. At night, I need you. And that is basically the heart of a Pharisee. They've done everything perfectly. They've, they've studied the, the Scripture. They know the Bible inside and out, but their hearts are so far away from him. I love that Jesus says at one point, he says that you flatter me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. This morning, I want to ask this question, like, are we madly in love with God, or do we know all about him and we flatter him with our lips? Even worship this morning, I, I know because I'm human that some, some days there are moments where my heart is completely broken and everything is his, and there are other moments where I'm reciting songs. And I've challenged myself to never sing unless my heart means it. But worship can be flattery, it can be religious, or it can be responding, God, I, want, I love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. You guys, you guys tracking on me this morning? We need to be people that we love God, that love means something when we say I love God, different than when we say I love candy, or I love TV, or I love football. It's drastically different. Football, TV, candy, boyfriends, girlfriends, money, whatever, doesn't satisfy eternally. And so... We have to look at our hearts and say, God, is, this, is my soul thirsting for you? Is my soul consumed by you? I'm not saying that we work some kind of fake love up, but I'm saying that we have to honestly be experiencing the goodness of God daily and delighting in him. John talks about abiding in Christ and the love of God. We cannot love God unless we're interactive with him. I recently um, heard a pastor tell a message on the same kind of idea where he was saying, uh, he basically told told the congregation all about a man, a, ma- a man named John. He he had his last name, he had his first name. He knew he was telling them about the dog that he had, about the things him and his wife were going through, about their recent retirement, the trip they had just been on, uh, their grandkids, and how this man really, really loved his grandkids. And he went for about 10, 15 minutes describing this man, right. And then at the end, he said, "I've never met him. I just read his Facebook uh, profile." In the same way, we can do the same thing with God. Where we read the Facebook profile, we know all of this, but it's never hit our heart, and we're not consumed by him. I can tell you facts about God. I can tell you the facts about what Jesus did and what he says and what he says he will do. But unless I truly am experiencing delighting in him and he's my, my only passion and I realize he's all that I need and everything else is false or lesser than, then I don't really know him. If I don't wake up in the morning and have my time with him, if I don't go to bed at night and have time with him, if I don't seek his face, if I don't hear his voice, then I don't really know him. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I want to be so consumed with the love of God that I actually hear his voice, and I don't just know him because I have the degree on the wall that says I went to Bible college and I have a bachelor's in ministry. That gets me nothing if I'm not satisfied in his presence. Does that make sense? <clears throat> this, is only, this is really only possible when you realize that you need him. More than anything else, you need him. Exodus, one, this is a great story. Exodus chapter 33. We don't need to turn there. I'll briefly sum, sum it up for you. But we see uh, Moses, Moses leaves uh, Sinai. And, and basically God says, you know what, <clears throat> I'm going to send my angel with you because if I go with you, you guys are so wicked and so off that I will destroy you. <laughs> you're horrible people. <laughs> but you're my people and I love you. So I'm going to send my angel with you and I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to give you the land that I said I'd give and he'll go with you and he'll protect you. But if I go with you, I'm going I'm I'm to go nuts, basically. That's what God says. But Moses knows the heart of God. Moses knows the covenant that God has with his people. Moses knows how good God is. And the people of Israel begin to repent and saying we need God. Moses says unless you yourself go with me, I don't want to go anywhere. God says I'll give you an angel and a promised land. I think a lot of us if God said to you I'll send an angel with you and you're guaranteed to get to the place that you'll be really happy, we'll be like, "All right, see you later God. Thanks for the angel." Like I'm going. Right, is it, is it, this is an angel. Like our our society gets obsessed with the idea of angels. Like I've been in some charismatic churches. Like oh man, I saw my angel yesterday, and, and he's pretty big, and we're all excited about our angel. Moses is like I don't want an angel. I'm thankful for your angel, but I don't want that. I want your presence. And God says, you know what? I'm sending my presence with you. Yeah, I'll listen to you. I, I'll listen to that. That's cool. that's who I am. Here comes my presence. And then the, after that is when Moses says. Um, God, I'd also like to see your face, and God's like, I'll show you part of me. Just chill out, Moses. But there's this, there's this imagery. There's this imagery where it says they met in the tent of meeting. Moses, the whole, the whole, all of Israel knows what God had said that He's going to send an angel, and they're repentant about that because they know an angel is not enough. They know they need God's presence. Even though they're horrible people and sinful people, they still know this. And so they're all outside of their tents watching the tent that Moses set up because he's going to have a meeting with God. I don't know what that looks like. That's pretty awesome. He's got like a scheduled appointment with God in a tent. And it says he goes in, he meets face-to-face with God, has this conversation with God, and God shows up in a real way and says, yeah, I'll go with you. They're all watching because they know they need God. And this morning, when I think about this, I think... Am I so in love with the actual presence of God, the actual intimacy with the Father, with knowing Jesus in a personal way, that if he says, I'll give you all of your dreams without me, would I take that? Or would I just take his presence? Am I so in love with his presence? Are we dependent on his presence? Or are we content with knowledge and health and a promised job, promised family, relationships, is that enough for us? We had a great, really awesome home group. Let me, let me say this before I get off on the thought: Our home group at our house, we're doing the, the catechism, as was mentioned. Catechism, I know it's a scary word for some people. It's really a Protestant word, not a Catholic word. It's, it's a, basically to teach and to be taught. It's a receiving of information. It's what it is. So chill out if you were scared by that. But at our home group, we were talking about eternity. We were talking about the promises of, of, of eternal life with Christ. And we were talking about um, separation from God. And as we were discussing this, there's, there's a lot of imagery about heaven and hell, right? You all have, like, when I say those words, you have an image in your mind. Either clouds or fire, harps and gold and mansions and death and skulls and worms or whatever. And I'm not going to get into that right now. But the, the best thing about heaven is God's there. The worst thing about hell is God's not there. That's what makes hell hell. That's what makes heaven heaven. And so I feel like so many of us, when we come to faith, we, we are, what's advertised about Christianity is, hey, don't go to hell. Here's Jesus. You need to be forgiven. And so we take the forgiveness, and then the rest of our life just looks like hell. The rest of our life is separated from God. God. The rest of our life is just, I do what I want. That's not the gospel. That's not what this whole thing is about. That's an aspect of it, yes. I have a hope of eternal life in the presence of God, but I also have the kingdom of God here dwelling inside of me that I get to experience a personal Savior right now as I walk through the streets of Scranton. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's true love. That's real love. What, what if I said to my wife, like, I really, really love you, but I don't want to be with you for, like, another 40, 50 years. I'll be with you for the rest of our lives, and for all of eternity we'll hold hands in the grave or something like that. But I don't want to be with you now. God said, I'm, I'm here now. Jesus even said, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come and dwell in you, so that God himself can live inside of you and comfort you everywhere you go. It's intimacy, it's relationship, it's presence, it's together. <laughs> okay, I see a lot of, like, eh. I don't like this. I know this. I'm already con- I already know this information. Yeah, do we know the information or do we have it in our hearts? To me, I have to wait. This is a, t- a challenge for myself, and I'm confessing this to you. There are many days where I don't wake up and say, God, you're my everything. I need you like a deer longs for water. But that's the heart of David, and that's the heart that has it. That has real life and I want that. I want it because he's everything. Yeah. If he I, I've recently told you about dreams that I have for the city, dreams about even for the building next week. If God gives me all the dreams that I've ever had about city lights and about ministry and about reaching the city of Scranton, but He's not there, it's worthless. Yeah. It's worthless. I need his if we just stay a small church and his presence is here every day, I'll take that. If we say a church that doesn't do anything, which is ridiculous, because with God's here, you're, if God's in, your, in here, you're going to do something. But if we did nothing, and God was here, that's more valuable than anything else. We were talking in our home group about, you know, how God, like, there's this imagery that God gi- gives rewards in eternity, and there's the, the verses about casting our crown in front of Him, our crowns that He gives us, and like, it's because crowns and jewels, even though they're nice in heaven, are worthless. So often, we like to take the scripture where he goes and prepares a place for you, and we like to make it into, well, one day I'm going to have a mansion. I'm broke right now, but I'm going to have a mansion and streets of gold and fruit's going to be tasting like something better than fruit, like candy bars, and nobody's going to cry and nobody's going to fight me, and I won't have to work a job, and I'll just be singing on a harp forever. Like that's, guess what? That's going to get old after about a thousand years. Like, oh, this fruit again. It tastes like steak. Like, oh, this street. Jesus doesn't say, sorry to bust your bubble. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you a big mansion to retire in. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is imagery of a, bro- of a groom saying to his bride, I'm building a house with my father and my family for you to live in when we're in covenant together. This is not like, hey, I want you to retire so you have something really good to look forward to. Jesus says, I am the thing to look forward to. I am the thing that you love, that you should love and be be consumed by. I am the bride, or I am the groom. You are the bride. That's the imagery of, of this whole book is one big love story. And our whole life is one big love story. We're we're his bride. He's constantly romancing us. I read in Romans, and I want to read just a little bit more. I read Romans 5 this morning to you. But the beginning of Romans 5 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into, his gra- into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, but because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then I read after that, while we were still sinners, while we were still weak, Christ died for us. That beginning there says that we who are in Christ were justified. We now, even in our persecution, even in suffering, even in confusion, we have hope, we have joy, we have the glory of God. That's good news. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of this book is not eternity in the clouds. The good news is is right now you get to experience real love. True love. The only love that will ever completely satisfy. When we walk in love with God, when we live the life we were meant to live, we can have hope and peace and and joy in every situation. Every moment of every day, even in brokenness, we can have hope. We can have joy. This, This true love This is the love that every good marriage should reflect. This is the love that all of Hollywood wishes they could portray. This is the love that every love song, every poem has wished for. It's inside our hearts that we long for this love, the love of the Father, to be reality in us. Everything else is a reflection, reflection or a shadow, or an image of his love. Everything else is just a part, a a small picture of his love. There is no greater love than experiencing the daily love of the Father and living in his presence. Kenny, the worship team, come forward. What I want you to say is, or what I want you to hear this morning is I'm not teaching... um, that what we do or religious study isn't important. I'm not telling you don't read the Bible and don't do good things, right? Like that was the Pharisees. They did good things and they read the Bible. I'm not telling you don't do that. What I'm telling you, though, is make sure your heart is consumed by love for him, right? Then out of that comes these other things. When I love him, I want to know more and more about him. So I pray, I read, I, I, I man... Some of the best times of my life were also some of the most difficult seasons of my life because God's presence was there and I knew the hope that he had put in my heart. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then he talks about how a slave doesn't know what the master is doing, but a son knows the heart of the father. So you and I, when we, we have this sonship, loving relationship with our, with our God and father, we can do all these good things. We can keep his commandments. We can keep his law. But it's because we know his heart and there's love in us. It's not like a slave and a master. It's a son with a loving father. This is, this is real love this morning. And, and today, as you go and you have the rest of your Valentine's Day, maybe you'll go out for lunch. Maybe you'll go out for dinner. You'll watch a movie or whatever you do. Or maybe you're alone and, and you're like, oh, I hate Valentine's Day. This day's awful. <laughs> Nobody got me chocolates. Nobody did get me chocolates today. Like, <laughs> I, I start my diet tomorrow. This jacket's getting tight. <laughs> Fat guy in a little... Of- anyway. That's why it's not buttoned. Just being honest. <laughs> but maybe maybe you hate this day because of like what it symbolizes. I, I know Christmas, Thanksgiving to Valentine's Day is, is one of the highest seasons of depression. It's one, it's cold here, like today. <laughs> and two, people who are alone or don't have family feel so rejected. And I'm talking about a love that's not just people, but it's God. The God of the universe that while we were weak and broken, he poured out his love on the cross for us. That's the only love that'll ever satisfy your heart, that'll ever keep you from depression, from brokenness from isolation, from abandonment. He will never abandon me. I'm more sure of that than I'm sure of my wife, and I've never doubted my wife for a second. Does that make sense? God's love is good, and this morning, I want us to sing about that as we go into worship. I want us to examine our hearts and say, God, do I desire you? Are you the only thing that satisfies? Because everything else will will fall apart and break and and run out or, or just be gone. But you're the only thing that satisfies Let's stand, let's worship him for a few moments. Let's look to his love this morning.